0: Hello, I'm Karen Cornblue. I'm a senior fellow for digital policy at the Council on Foreign Relations and we're very lucky to have Nula O'Connor with us. Nula leads CDT, the Center for Democracy and Technology, leading global NGO on civil liberties. And prior to CDT, Nula led privacy at GE and Amazon and also at the Department of Homeland Security. So we're very lucky to have Nula here with us to discuss Safe Harbor. Hi Nula. Thanks for having me, Karen. Nula, can you tell us what is Safe Harbor and what happened? So we are at an interesting
1: inflection point in the U.S.-EU dialogue over the passage of commercial data, data about individuals, your name, your rank, social security number, cell phone number, to companies on either side of the Atlantic for very normal, legitimate purposes, paying your employees, sending people their goods or services. And that was covered under an agreement between the U.S. government and the European Union to allow for the passage of data about Europeans out of Europe and determining that that data passage was covered under adequate laws and protections in the U.S. So Europe passed a data protection directive, an omnibus privacy law going on 15 years ago now that said certain protections are uh, must adhere to data wherever it goes in the world, where about European citizens or persons in Europe. And the initial reaction was that U.S. law is inadequate under those analyses, that there isn't adequate levels of protections of principles like proportionality, meaning does the company take the amount of data it needs to complete the transaction and no more, or transparency or data minimization. Does company A get rid of the data after it no longer needs it? Um, These are fundamental principles enshrined now in European law. They are reinforced through the human rights laws as well as the privacy laws in the member states as well as at the the Europe-wide level. And in fact, Europe is in the process of re-examining that Europe-wide directive to enshrine it in permanent EU-wide law. The US has sectoral laws, laws on health privacy, on financial privacy, even on kids' privacy, but we do not have one single law we can point to and we do not have a federal privacy commissioner, a single point of enforcement at the federal level, or at least that's the perception in Europe. Let me push back right now on what I've just said. We have the Federal Trade Commission, we have state's attorneys general, we have private rights of action, we have a heck of a lot of enforcement actually in the United States, but we do not have a model that looks a lot like Europe, and so the U.S. was deemed inadequate under that uh, 1990s uh, data protection directive. And the U.S. Commerce Department and the Commission went about negotiating an agreement that allowed for the legitimate data transfers of companies who agreed to be bound by these safe harbor principles that uphold European law, wherever the data in the world went. Getting on to 15 years later, a young Austrian graduate student named Max Schrems decided that he was uncomfortable with his Facebook profile ending up in the hands of the U.S. federal government under the perceived or real data flows between U.S. corporations and the U.S. government that were revealed post-Snowden and took a case alleging that this complaint to the Irish Data Protection Commissioner because Facebook EU is based in Ireland, the Irish Data Protection Commissioner actually said she thought Facebook was fine, and he appealed that decision to the European courts. Finally, upon final appeal, the European Court of Justice agreed with Schrems and said, because Facebook is based in the United States and because the U.S. law on surveillance is so broad, shall we say, um, we, Europe— and the European Court of Justice feel uncomfortable with our citizens' data going there. We feel that the protection levels are inadequate, notwithstanding the safe harbor, and thus we find the safe harbor accord invalid because we feel it did not adequately hold up European data protection principles.
0: That's fascinating. Thank you for giving us all that background. Tell us, where do you think things are going to go from here? There's been a big outcry from the private sector The U.S. government has said that it's going to redouble efforts to complete the next round. Where do you see things headed?
1: So this is yet another zig in the zigzaggy road we have been hoeing uh, between the U.S. and the EU and, frankly, globally on global data transfers. Let me start by saying this does not just affect tech companies, although everybody seems to think it does. It's any company that is transferring personal information, again, the most mundane information about individuals for purposes, as I said, paying your employees, providing a good and service, transacting in some ways. Those legitimate data flows have been disrupted, and we need to get back to a place of equilibrium. I totally understand that, and I have great sympathy for the folks in companies and in law firms right now that are scrambling to find an appropriate legal basis for legitimate transfers. And I believe that there's goodwill on both sides of the Atlantic, that the negotiators are trying very hard. And, in fact, we're very close to a deal but for the law enforcement and counterterrorism provisions in the deal, uh, even before the Shrems case came out. I think they've been at the table for going on a year and a half, almost two years now. And largely the principles, the fundamental cultural underpinnings of one's sense of individuals versus the state or individuals versus companies are are largely consistent, at least looking at this issue globally between the U.S. and the EU. How they've played out in law has been very different, and they're very different enforcement approaches. But there's a lot of common ground, and the uh, the negotiators have found it, where they haven't been able to find common ground. And what really happened in the days and weeks and months post-Snowden is that It was revealed that the U.S. was engaging in a great deal of bulk data collection. And because so many of the largest companies are based in the U.S. or have servers in the U.S., the presumption was that too much data was ending up in the hands of the U.S. federal government. What I think will happen is I think we will get a safe harbor to, in some form, within the deadline that has been set by regu- regulators and, and negotiators on both sides of the Atlantic. The European data protection regulators have said they will start enforcing against companies that do not have a legitimate legal basis and adequacy determination in some form, whether it be under the safe harbor or under binding corporate rules or under with model contracts or whatever legal basis the company chooses to use to transfer data out of Europe. They will not start enforcing until the middle or end of January. The the regulators who made that announcement actually intended, it's, it sounds from the conversations I've had with them, to say, hold on, don't worry, you've got several months, Calm, simmer down, everyone, simmer down. What American companies heard when that announcement was made a few weeks ago was, oh my goodness, we better have our houses in order by the end of January, and they started to scramble. And so I think that the compelling corporate and commercial interests will kind of win the day and get the negotiators to yes on the commercial aspects of the deal. I am less sanguine that we will achieve what is really necessary for profound lasting reform of the surveillance questions on both sides of the Atlantic in the time frame that that deal needs to happen to solidify the commercial piece. But I would like to see, and I'm hopeful that we will see, some very positive steps forward, some both commitments to constrain unfettered access to commercial data sets on both sides of the Atlantic and a commitment to move forward with legal and judicial reform on both sides of the Atlantic. And I keep repeating that because I really want to hammer home the fact that while we know a heck of a lot more right now about what the United States is doing to its own citizens and visitors to this country, or people whose data transmits across the pipes that are, that are housed in this country, the reality is surveillance and law enforcement and national security are global questions, and they need global solutions. And so while it's easy to poke fun or point the finger on both sides of the Atlantic about the shortcomings, of one's legal regimes or one's activities. The reality is counterterrorism is a global initiative and needs to be both constrained and limited, but also effective internationally and needs to have international kind of permanent
0: and binding solutions. And that leads me to my last question. So the purpose of our roundtable is to break down the silos among foreign policy, economic policy and digital policy because all too often those groups don't talk to each other and the negotiations that are going on in each realm don't bring in the other until the very last minute or too late even. How, how have you seen that change over time uh, with privacy policy? It sounds like there are better conversations happening between the privacy, The commercial side of policy and the security side, and and where do you, how have you seen that play out and where do you see that going? So
1: you're right that um, the privacy dialogue has moved forward over the last now 37 years that the commissioners have been meeting internationally. The U.S. is finally at the table as represented and as being a constructive voice in that dialogue. But you're right. I think it's time to reach outside this little community of experts and privacy and data protection. First of all, the negotiators at the table for Safe Harbor 2 have wisely included their law enforcement and counterterrorism counterparts from their own side of the Atlantic, which is incredibly important and necessary, since frankly, the data protection officials in Europe and in the U.S. do not necessarily have ambit or, or um, c- what's called competence on the U- the EU side to regulate or constrain law enforcement and national security. But even more, I'm, I'm really in search of a solution, you're right, Karen, that goes beyond privacy and data protection circles to whether it's trade, whether it's international diplomacy. We need to lift up this dialogue, and we, we've kind of gone back to our corners or our you know our bunkers, and we're repeating the same narratives on both sides of the Atlantic over and over again that the U.S. doesn't have this or the EU doesn't have that. We really need to move forward and say what we want is a global Construct The internet is global, the potential for human improvement, for dialogue, for speech, for innovation is truly global. I believe the rising tide lifts all boats, but we need global solutions for global data flows in the cloud that both provide certainty to the companies and the governments that they you know they can do their legitimate work but most of all that to the human being whose data is at at the end of the day their data and represents them in their digital self and that they should know and have certainty that no matter where in the world the data gl- goes and is transferred and is processed for for you know the convenience of the company or for speed or effectiveness that they can have certainty that their rights, that their legal basis will be upheld. And I think we're moving, we're seeing lots of companies move in the right direction of recognizing the local law of the the data subject, the individual, but even more recognizing that the challenge of the internet, the wonder of the internet is that it breaks down nation-state barriers, but we also do need to be respectful of the expectation of
0: the individual in the digital world. Thank you for sharing your perspective, Nula O'Connor. We appreciate uh, your participation in this podcast.
1: Thank you, Karen.